The Ringer's Charles Holmes and co-host Grace Spellman present the most notorious new podcast in the industry, The Ringer Music Show. Every Tuesday, they'll bring you the latest news, the hottest takes, and the deepest reporting about the wild world of music and the chaotic industry that creates it. Check out The Ringer Music Show exclusively on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Mint Mobile. If you've had it with your overpriced wireless plan with its insanely high monthly bill and unexpected overages, then listen to this. For a limited time, wireless plans from Mint Mobile are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. That's unlimited talk, text, and data for $15 a month. Wow, right? To get this new customer offer, just go to mintmobile.com slash watch. That's mintmobile.com slash watch. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for more details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I need sports to have to clear the room. Stand up and walk now. Hello, welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan. I'm an editor at TheRinger.com. And joining me on the other line, he was just having lunch at this cafe in Riga. And holy crap, it's Andy Greenwald. Uh, Chris, Prague has never looked better. Not since it was spoken about reverently in the 90s classic Kicking and Screaming has Prague had such a great look. On the national it's a stage. Huge moment for Prague. Andy, we're talking about Falcon and Winter Soldier today. We're also going to take some listener mail, uh, some questions Ooh. that we got through various social media platforms. It's a lovely Monday. It's great to see you. How you doing? I'm good. You know, I want to do a check. I know Mondays, people love this. Want to do a weekend check-in. Thanks for asking. I have I have not continued my interest in dressage. I think that is a settled issue. But it's I'm still gonna keep mentioning it because every time, every time we even the the idea of uh, something happening on horseback is brought up on this podcast. Chris's face, all the color leaves it. So a, I'm I'll not scandalized it. by it. I just think that you've, to say that you've I'm beaten good. this dead horse is, is an understatement. Chris, those horses were not dead. <laughs> that was the one thing I know for sure about those horses. Um, I wanted to check in with you about the weekend. If you had another nice sporting time, or you, you yeah, watched some things because one thing that I think our listeners should know, I, listen, sometimes it's fair to take the slings and arrows that people say, you know, guys, you've changed. Okay, guy, you've changed. You used to be a TV critic, you watched it all, and now you maybe you don't. Maybe you don't watch as much. And I would push back and say that, you know, I'm I'm watching some things, things that I care about and love. But Chris, I am in a zone right now with mm-hmm. Le Bureau. People yeah. know we're going to be talking, we're going to record our first podcast about the first two seasons this week. I hope everyone catches up, checks it out, et cetera, et cetera. I would say that you're not just but, in a zone, but yeah. you're in a state of, of like, you're like Lou Reed and I'm waiting for the man right now. Yeah. Well, our entire household. I, I, I love this show. I am almost on the third season. I think it's, there's a case to be made that it is in the conversation for best shows of the last decade. I'll say it we, might be the best show I will be your ever. co-counsel in that case. I can't wait to get into it with everybody, but... It has been a really long time since uh, m- the adult members of my household have been 
hooked like this. And mm-hmm. it, it takes you over. There really isn't room for anything else because it's the only thing we we want to watch. Yeah, uh, I agree. I mean, like it's been, we've really, I, so you may not, I think you know this, but my wife, Phoebe, loves to hoard television shows. Like when yeah, she finds something she loves, she's like... She doesn't want to run out of it. Yeah, she doesn't want to run out of it. And I've been like, well, we have like these 25 more episodes left because we're midway through season three. And I'm like, I just like feel like this is a show. Mm-hmm. The right time to take breaks on the Bureau is definitely between seasons because they do you a really nice otherwise. job. They tie up the season. The season then extends into the next season, but they start new storylines very well. But if you stop mid-season on your flow, man, it just it just gums up the works. On your Duflo, if you will. <laughs> My Henri Duflo. Um, but, it, but, it, but it feels very... I'll, I'll, I, the only reason I brought it up is just in terms of like a watching experience, it feels very, very old-fashioned in a yeah. good way to be just completely consumed with one thing. And I realize that, you know, we have our, our tent poles for Mondays and Fridays. Now we've, we're doing Falcon and Winter Soldier, which we'll get into. We do top, we're doing Top Chef on Fridays, which is good, I think, for the balance and sanity because there's no room for anything else right now. Next Monday, we'll have Mayor of Easttown. So I think yes. we'll probably... Falcon and Winter Soldier, we've been talking about extensively, and it's just been fascinating over these last couple of months to talk about the Marvel TV experiment, especially seeing as how it's become the only show in town in a lot of ways. In terms of like generating this kind of interest. There's a lot of stuff that's on right now that people are really into from, from Snowfall to Made for Love for, to the Netflix stuff to everything that, that's been going on. But, you know, in terms of like what's kind of like generating a lot of interest and conversation in these parts, it does seem to be the Marvel stuff. I think once Mayor of Easttown starts next Monday, we'll probably start talking about that equally, if not more so than, than uh, Falcon, just because Andy and I have gotten a chance to see the first episode and we were, we were completely blown away by it. We're really excited for this show. It is really good. Let's get into the Falcon, though. Yeah. I think, uh, at one hand, um, kind of a typical, especially for shows like this, and we haven't had that many of them, but pretty typical in that there's got to be one that sets up the last two or one that sets up the last mm-hmm. one. It, 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 these shows have a penultimate, penultimate problem, maybe, where it's like, hey, we've established all this tension and mystery, and now we need to do one more beat before we go to the grand you know, this crescendo of, of the season. It, it's, it's the hinge episode. Basically. Yeah. You know, yeah. If, 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 I, I try to resist the urge to make TVs and to make TV into movies to say that this is, Oh, it's a six hour movie, blah, blah, blah. Obviously it wasn't designed that way. The people who made it did not uh, intend it to be received as such, but it does follow some of the similar beats of uh, a big budget Marvel action movie, but spread out. And in that case, there's always the moment when Tony's like, Nope, we got to go to Sokovia. Yeah, exactly. And this is the even though they were very much in Eastern Europe during this episode, as we were joking at the beginning, this was the now we're slowly turning this large beast this way, pointing the, towards conclusion. What is the beast? I think is this of, is the, the of the, the show. Yeah. So my question is more like if I asked yeah. you, could you tell me what was happening in this show? Like what the no. what what is the show about? I think WandaVision. This is really strange for me. I understood WandaVision. It got a little like kind of heady when it was like, who could the, who might the engineer be that Monica's going to meet or, you know, who is Agatha never really working go. for? No, you I'm just saying Reed like Richard so badly. No, but that was where like th- that show took on some yeah. serious super soldier serum when that conversation got introduced <laughs> to the discourse right. okay. for Falcon and Winter Soldier. I enjoy this show 10 times more than I enjoyed Wanda. Yet with Wanda, I understood that Wanda Maximoff was created a like alternate reality within the confines of this town and that they were trying to figure out why that was happening 
and maybe if somebody was making her do it and all this and and it was very clear what was sort of going on and mm-hmm. in some ways the story itself was figuring that out falcon and winter soldier they're throwing a, a lot of looks at me and i'm like a <laughs> I'm a, I'm a I'm a Texas quarterback. I don't understand my beyond my first read. I don't really know what's going on, but I am actually, I would say, just ap- totally enjoying the ep- like the the vibe and the feel of the show, and am actually tip my cap to them for kind of going there more than any other Marvel thing has in terms of the themes of the, the themes of the show and also the violence of the show and the language the show is using and putting some pretty unimpeachable characters, whether it's uh, Sam or whoever, or the at least the iconography of Captain America, in some pretty fucking uncomfortable positions and kind of making us think about these things in terms of heroes and villains and everything else. How much do you, can you put aside like, uh, okay, Power Broker is what now? Yeah. Versus these guys make jokes and kick ass. It's pretty fun. Um, I want to jump in before I answer that and say that when you're talking about things that the show is clearly about and doing well, I feel like you neglected to mention it's about men wearing jackets. In fact, it might be the premier men wearing jackets show since season one of Kevin Clark's Slow News Day on The Ringer. That's right. Um, it, truly incredible stuff. Yeah. Sam Sam packed heavy for <laughs> for his trip to Madripoor and Riga. You know what I mean? I really well, like that. Well, maybe like Sharon just dapped him up with a bunch of members only stuff that we didn't, we just, that scene got left on the cutting room floor though. Okay, that's fair. Yeah. Um. So I, what you described just then as enjoying, I frankly wish there was still more of. The okay. idea of these guys cracking wise and cracking jaws. Making cherry blossom tea, busting each other's chops. That's fine. Yeah. That, and, I, and I like that version of the show. And every so often now, um, you know, this many episodes into it, we get a few nods and feints in that direction when they're like, you and your partner, and he's like, not my partner. Yeah. But I'm like, really? Why Why are we fighting so hard for them not to get along? They've, they're spending a lot of air miles together. You know what I mean? They got, by the way, the most COVID-friendly Airbnb in Prague. The ceilings alone are well, well, well beyond like 12, 15, 16 feet high. Yeah. So I thought that was pretty smart of them. The buddy comedy action movie thing I think works for this. And I think that's the version of the show I like best. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's what we're getting, at least in these middle episodes, primarily because in addition to the buddy comedy, and again, I don't even mean this in a pejorative way. I think Malcolm Spellman and his writing team and the producers who were involved in the creative decision-making such to to whatever degree they were, wanted it to be so much more than that. And I commend that. I mean, you want shows to be about as many things as they can be about and still be seaworthy. Um, I think the danger here becomes when you start to think about the show's conception as it's a difficult shape. Okay, let me let me take a step back. Um, this might be a little heady, but I kind of like to think about the concept, the, the the creation of a season as a as a shape. Some shows are arrows shot from episode one going towards a destination. What would be a good to, example of forward, a show going, like that? Going uh, in terms of like momentum to yeah. get from from A to B. I guess you could look at I, I, the metaphor I always use for Breaking Bad. Actually, wasn't an arrow; it was an elevator. Right? It started in one place and just went down, 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 down. Mm-hmm. Um, a arrow show. I mean, this is incredibly self-promoting, but like that, I, I came to mind because that's kind of how I tried to describe Briar Patch. Because she lands in, the in Texas and she's going about her yeah right like and she's cutting through it to yeah. get to the point of her to solve the thing that happened in the beginning. And I get that. The shape of this show is kind of 
a circle in the sense that it exists because there's a void in the middle of it. Like this is the show about a world without Captain America, without Mm -hmm. Steve Rogers. And it's about what happens to his shield, to his mantle, to his legacy, and most specifically to his best buds. And the blonde woman he met 10 years ago, who is now a crime Lord in Madripoor. And who was, okay. Was the daughter of Peggy Carter. I always have to prove. I actually know a little bit about what's happening (laughs) when I, when I go on tangents like this. So that's a tough shape, right? Because you, you, you're basically admitting that the, the, the North Star for all of these people and all of this plot isn't there. So then what happens? It's fascinating, but it's difficult. And I think that one of the ways that this show has attempted to deal with the absence of Steve Rogers and the absence of that charisma or that sort of clean narrative, he's a hero, is by throwing almost everything else on top of it. There are so many characters, there's so many subplots, there's so many really kind of radical ideas for the MCU almost being tossed in casually. I mean, we talked about the Isaiah Bradley stuff that I think in a different conception of how they're making these TV shows and what they're doing with the universe, that could have been a season of television unto itself. And maybe it still will be. I mean, that's the beauty of this thing. But you get to this point where we're spending all this quality time with Sam and Carly Morgenthau, and she's just like, they're having a, a, a very heavy conversation with a dead body in the room about the nature of supremacy and all of its guises, insidious guises in this world. I'm like, that's a lot. Meanwhile, Wyatt Russell is roiding out, dude. <laughs> like, it, it's, it's literally like, I feel like we're, in recapping the show, I feel like we are talking, we are the anchor men talking about the anchor men <laughs> battle when Brick killed a guy. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that really escalated quickly. So a- again, like we are in the middle place where where we're going isn't entirely clear. But my feeling about the show is appreciation, entertainment, which might be enough, but kind of at a remove because there is so much stuff flying at me all the time. Sometimes it's a vibranium shield that I am struggling to latch onto, not a character necessarily, but latch onto the theme or the, the the plot point that is enough to get me through. See, I, th- I I haven't had a problem with that so much. Like, I I think that this show is about what makes a superhero, right? What makes a hero in general, but what maybe makes a superhero? Is it something somebody's willing to sacrifice a certain amount? Is it someone who unites their sort of energies with the beliefs of of a of a nation state or whether it's an idea, whatever that may be? Like, I I get it. I think that's what's driving among other things, Walker crazy. That's what is making Sam reticent to, was made Sam reticent to take up the shield. Um, That's what's driving the Flag Smashers to do what they're doing. There are two things that I think the show is missing and neither of them are Captain America. Mm -hmm. Tell me what you think of this. So one thing is that this show more than even Wanda, and it's interesting because this was supposed to come before Wanda, is about this blip and post-blip world. and you know, the blockbuster movies obviously uh, mm-hmm. dramatized what happened with the snap and everything. And, and, and WandaVision showed what happened when people just sort of arrived back. But in Falcon, we're sort of just kind of like talking about this thing where when, what is it, 5 billion people disappeared. And then they, like, you know, the world changed maybe even in some ways in for the better on a yeah. on a sort of global level like people were welcome more welcoming everybody was trying to help one another you could go to a country and just kind of become part of that country it wasn't like a big deal and then as soon as the 5 billion people come back 
all of a sudden we go back to the way things were where everybody is much more conscientious about their borders and what you're doing here and what and, you know, resor- and, and fighting else. over resources and resources and right i don't know what they could have done better or differently to sort of show that but i think that the absence of the the fact that they're making it all entirely carly talking about it in these very mm-hmm. hushed tones and these sort of mm-hmm. far flung parts of eastern europe uh, is is making it a little bit hard for me to like connect emotionally well, with that as like the main the main sort of driving force of the show. I realize that it can get it might it it may already be tiresome for some. It may continue to get tiresome as we as this goes on and on with endless numbers of shows on the horizon. But I do find it interesting to um, sort of take a moment and consider what the real challenges and limitations of this TV project of the MCU are. And and I think that at least going by what we've seen in the two programs, in WandaVision and Falcon and the Winter Soldier, I think they're twofold. I think one is the MCU, to their credit, and to the creators who have come on board with really interesting takes, to their credit as well, they want to go there. They want to take the questions that are asked almost in passing in between punching Josh Brolin's CGI chin and be like, no, let's really play that out. What does that mean? Yeah. So what is this MCU version of the leftovers on a grand scale? And what does that mean? Not just in terms of personal grief, like Spider-Man turned to dust and came back, but like four to five billion people now. And what do they do on earth? And what does that mean for countries and borders and identity and all that? Like, that's very, very cool. And I commend them. And I would prefer them going down those roads than ignoring the roads. But there are limits. You know, this is a stridently PG, veering on PG-13 universe that also has to tick many other boxes, including advancing the future cinematic goals, but also punching and kicking. Like, that's part of it. Right. So much like with WandaVision, which sort of sidled up to some heavy ideas about grief and then kind of rushed away at the very end. Right. And became witches fighting. Yeah. In order to set up Doctor Strange 2. This show keeps... It keeps me interested, I should say also, by fainting towards some pretty big, interesting, dramatic ideas. And then people get hit in the head with vibranium shields really hard, by the way, and seem none the worse for the wear. Maybe well, they have a headache. Ex- except for the homie at the end of the of Well, the that was, they did differentiate. That was multiple strikes to the chin, head, neck, and chest area. But the other, because I did the thing I was talking about last week that Joe Biden does well, where he says three things, then he nails them. I did a moment ago say two things. Okay, so, so I don't want to get away from that. The second one, the second thing is, and this is as much like Kevin Feige's project as it is TV shows that are meant to entertain us, is not many supporting characters, even beloved supporting characters, are Frasers. Most are Joeys. And that's just that's okay. just the way it is. Okay. There aren't that many characters that can support, secondary characters that can support spinoffs or their own properties with the same level of affection, charisma, or what have you as the initially scripted lead. Sometimes you can, and sometimes you can be surprised by it. And I think that what was done in WandaVision, you know, we, we talked about the many other things that were good about the show. The thing that was the most valuable probably to, to Disney and Marvel and probably the most successful thing that happened that Jack Schaefer did was Vision and Wanda are legit characters now. But in my, in my, I mean, it doesn't need to be in my eyes, but I feel that way. I think clearly millions of people around the world do. Right. It's a little more challenging here because I, I, I noticed Alan Sepinwall, great TV critic, said this in a tweet and then it, it more at length in his Rolling Stone recap of the episode. But he did point out, Sam Wilson has been a prominent character in the Marvel Universe for almost 50 years. He has never held his own series. He's vital in Captain America, in various iterations of the Avengers. But 
kind of has never been. Would you a call this his character. series though? Well, Winter Soldier keeps getting series too. And there was one kind of cool one written by a guy named Alice Cott that I highly recommend. It was super weird. Oh, you're trippy, talking about the in comics. General, you're comics. talking about yeah, oh, okay. Because I wouldn't call this show the Falcon show. No, but after however is this episode four or episode five? This is episode this four. Fa- we have two more left, five and six. Right. So that was this is episode four. So after episode four, are you hungering or hankering for more Falcon series? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, like another TV show? I don't, I don't mean more of this, but I do think that so far, and it could be because of the relative limitations of the characters themselves, or the fact that, as I was saying before, it's an extremely crowded kitchen right now. Mm-hmm. I'm not, so far, I'm not coming out of the series being like, I think there can be a Winter Soldier series. Sign Sebastian Stan up for the seven picture deal. He should be the star of the next thing. Keep Mackie on speed dial. I, I want more Falcon the, leading. You're, t- you're talking about the old way of doing things. This is not well, the yeah. miners, but this isn't the miners anymore. They're not, they're not ch- testing out Sebastian Stan to see if he can carry a movie. They're thinking maybe Bucky and, and, and Sam break up at the end of this or like, you know, have an amicable sort of like, I need to go back and repair my relationship with the Dora Milaje or something like that. And like, goes off and that's his journey and they, they do a show about him in Wakanda or they do a Wakanda yes. show that maybe well, he appears in. But that's, that's why not, Feige stays winning. Yes. That, that because he wins either way. But for as much as you know we we do analytics now, it's small ball or whatever. Wanda hit a home run for Elizabeth Olsen and that character. And whether the goal was we can upstream these guys back into their own movies or not, it's potentially on the table because it was a breakout and they were put in a position to succeed. I agree with you. The whole point of that is it's exactly what you said. They could do Falcon and the Winter Soldier season two, three. They could do seasons two and three in five years. Or more likely, well, where does Sam go next on his journey? Right. Who, who does he team up with? Where? What world does he fit into next as we build up into the movies? They're always moving those balls and, they're, and it's working. I agree with you. But... So... We're gonna. This is this is poor structure, but like you had two things that you thought were were up with this. I have I had the the second thing that I thought was missing from the show. Aside oh. from so technically, is that the third thing overall? <laughs> Kaya, you want to run the numbers for us on this? So wait, what was my first one? Was just saying that I can't even remember what my first thing I undi- was. I got you. I anti Biden. Do you? Yeah, See, it's tricky. Don't do that. Uh, tricky to make numbers. Tricky to make lists. Hold on a second, Kaya. What was my first thing? What was the first thing that I said? That you like it, that it's a buddy comedy? No, that was like the first thing I said in the whole podcast. <laughs> Can I just say what my second thing that I think is missing from this yeah, show? Because non-Captain America? I didn't even realize that in our particular team up, I just totally crashed and put my two things in between your two things. It's okay. I think people have gotten used to our specific way of doing things. The second thing is that this isn't like a problem, but this is now the second time in these shows where and so it's obviously a, they know it works and B it's driving a lot of conversation, but I think some of the plotting would be smoothed out if they were like, this is who the power broker is <laughs> like the first time around. Right. Like, the idea of holding out to be like, we don't know. You might, it could be Vincent D'Onofrio. We never know. You know what I mean? Like the, the idea of like this sort of everybody speculate, everybody guess, like it clearly like keeps people on the edge of their seats to wonder like, is the power broker X character who we've already met or a character who, if you read the comics, you know, is coming or a character who has corrupted Sharon Carter or is in fact like, you know, Nick Fury or whatever it is. Like if it it is that, like I actually think it would just be making, it would make a lot more sense if that trip to Madripoor a couple of episodes ago was like, 
yeah, we got to go see the power broker because he's the one who is sort of mm-hmm. overseeing this entire international smuggling of super soldier serum. And instead now it's like, we're, we're, we're still getting like these kinds of breadcrumbs about it, but it actually like in the, it, I would like to see one of these stories just tell the story straight rather than be like, you never know who could be the, the, the surprise character who can pop up in episode five, which they are now teasing that there is like a, a big MCU character coming for the next episode. That's interesting. I mean, I, and, and I agree with you. I think that they can get a little cute with laying on mystery after mystery, but also, you know, they, they know what fuels the most rabid part of the fan base. And right. so that that's going to continue and that works for them. I think the other thing that I'm realizing, and, and look, we're, we're talking very, we're, we're, we're talking on a very uh, macro level where I'm probably as usual being a little overly critical, but I think it's interesting. Again, I keep coming at this stuff from the process point of view. Uh, maybe that's the Sixer fan in me, but this is their second TV show mm-hmm. and they're figuring it out. And there was a moment when Marvel movies were Kevin Feige and Marvel TV was uh, Jeff Loeb and they were completely separate yeah. entities, even though they pretended that they weren't. And to take a moment just to talk about the Netflix shows, the sort of the Defenders shared universe shows, which had some real highs. The first season of Jessica Jones was really good. There were a lot of good things in the first two seasons of Daredevil uh, and some lows like no one will ever speak of Iron Fist again. But I thought that it was a smart structural decision to say that while the Avengers are in Asgard and kicking aliens ass in outer space, they're fighting some gangsters in Hell's Kitchen and they don't have anything to do with each other. And that's fine. And it presented the stakes were were understandable. And we could get we we got why Thor wasn't showing up in Jessica Jones, even if you aren't a fan of the comics. I mean, to be a fan of comics perpetually demands a suspension of disbelief that if I mean on a hundred thousand levels, yeah. But <laughs> I was gonna but, say, <laughs> but the also that like if Spider Man is in a bit of a pickle in New York City, we get why all of the X Men don't swarm down and solve the problem for him in thirty seconds. Yeah, right. Because it's a Spider Man story, <laughs> like that. We get it. Okay, I understand that. The thing about this that's been kind of interesting is that this is, in some ways, Falcon and Winter... I mean, Wanda was... It was just in New Jersey, and that was probably helpful to it. Falcon and Winter Soldier is trying to kind of split the difference and say, like, these are global-sized characters. Like, Winter Soldier and Falcon and the Dora Milaje were all part of the end battle of Endgame. Yeah, and people are, like, taking their picture on the street and recognizing them or not recognizing them in banks and stuff, yeah. But their version of superheroism is also we wear leather jackets and we just walk around and have coffees in Prague yes. yeah. like with no backup. And it sometimes does my head it. Like I get, everyone's well, like, Sam Wilson, we know you. Come walk into this warehouse I and or orphanage. I think that's the TV part of it. I think you can yeah. make the argument that the Sam and Bucky side of things are like, we're, we're, we're rogue, we're rogue niche and we're kind of yeah. like running off. But when the new Captain America and Battlestar shows up and it's like, you guys didn't bring anybody. Like it's just it's just four dudes trying to catch the flag smashers. It, <laughs> like it, their energy is very similar to the energy that me and my friend David had when we were staying in hostels on like a Euro Rail Pass in 1997. Like you're I guess far, we'll stay. We'll you far here. beyond negotiating. <laughs> we'll stand here until something else happens. I guess. Yeah. We'll walk into a place that either is a lab or an orphanage or both. You know yeah. what I mean? Like it's all on the table, and by all I mean an American Express traveler's check. It's. It's it's interesting to see. And again, I don't want to pretend that I'm arguing against what I just argued, which was there's a lot of stuff going on in the show. I don't also want a sidebar 
on the U.S. government's level of involvement in tracking its most valuable asset yes. as it wanders through <laughs> the byways of post-pandemic Prague. Like, I, I, that's fine. I don't need to know that. There's, um, I would there's, like a scientist to weigh in, a physicist perhaps, to let me know why you can get a vibranium shield to the face and be fine, or a super soldier punch to the head that knocks you unconscious and be fine. But if you get thrown wrong into a wall, you die. You're dead. Yeah. There's some complicated... I think actually, you know, you make a good point because this show has sort of introduced a lot of relatively adult content. We got a question about this from Vince Nunnally who asked, yes. you know, Falcon and Winter Soldier seems way more violent than other MCU offerings. Are we transitioning into more adult content? I think that there's something to be said for the fact that people who were 15 when they first saw Iron Man are now in their mid-20s, you know? Like, I mean, people who are 12 are in their 20s, you know? So... They're growing up with this stuff, and I People think people who Mar- were thirty. Where do you want to do that? <laughs> yeah, I know, no, but no, but like I think that Marvel can safely assume that there is a huge chunk of their audience who can stomach that. Yes. Um, and I, I give them a lot of credit for, even if it's a roided up, not Steve Rogers Captain America, like gambling with that iconography by having him cave in a dude's cavity with his shield is like. Not something I thought I would see on this show. So I guess salute to them for that. Well, it, it, I, I put that, I mean, the, the the level of violence is one thing. I do put the iconography and what it means to be American standing in, and how you treat Europe. I, I think those are some of the interesting <laughs> ideas that Malcolm Spellman is not shying away from, which I yeah. appreciate. The What you're saying about the aging up of the fans is noteworthy because that's been perpetually a problem with the comic books, which is a long time ago, the people who made Marvel and DC primarily realized that their fan base uh, was just aging with them and that they were not attracting new fans. They've done a lot of good work in the last 10, 20 years to change that, although a lot of that credit could probably go to the movies and TV shows. But for a while, it was just getting darker and darker and darker because that's what people's lives were getting, I I suppose, as they got older. The violence thing, though, just to make one other point, it's also a TV thing, which is to say, in a movie you can have your three to four fight scenes and you can get away with people who have lasers or throw gigantic vibranium spears conveniently missing people or only being thrown at people who can withstand them or who are made of metal or whatever. This show's mandate seems to be at least two, if not three major fights per episode. Yes. Right? And then you kind of can't keep you can't There's, keep hiding. I, I think the reason, one of the reasons, if I may speak for you, that you're probably tripping up you a may. little bit on this specific episode is that this was the one where I felt like the fighting parts of the ep- of this episode and the talking parts of the episode were like completely separate. And yeah. were there's either scenes where there's three guys sitting in this hostel talking about the ideas of the show or they're busting each other's asses. But there's there's not like, hey, we got to walk down the street and talk about this as we go find something else. And maybe I'm going to stop in here and we're going to go meet that. The momentum of the first three episodes, I thought, really solved for any kind of like, hey, who? why are we in Madripoor? Who's Nagel? Why are we talking to Shelby? Why is John Walker mad like this? Like, big mad? So yeah, it goes, it goes on like that. I think when you come to a resting point, shows have a tendency to trip up a little I- bit. I agree. I'll also say that it's interesting uh, that I think by far the person who makes the most sense in the show and has the clearest and most logical plan is Zemo. I don't know what he's doing, but time and time again, he's making all the right decisions, such as the best way to make children like you is to give them candy. Um, Historically, (laughs) never been a problem with 
randos and <laughs> fur lined right. collars giving candy to children. <laughs> um, he's like, he seems very on the money about making fewer super soldiers on Earth <laughs> and destroying them. Like, I think that that's a platform I would vote for and I can get behind. And in general, like, I think that relaxing with a cold towel, which by the way was Dr. House, a.k.a. Chris Ryan's number one medical advice for the years 2000 to 2014, and a stiff drink makes sense. And then also, when the elite fighting squad of the most innovative and powerful nation on Earth arrives at your Airbnb to fight, it's you go to the bathroom. Like That's when you just quietly remove yourself. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll do some listener mail. Quick question. Did anyone on Twitter make the AO technology joke when she took his Bucky's arm off? I assume I someone did. I didn't see it. I just wanted to jump on it. <laughs> That's. But imagine it as a GIF. You're welcome. This is good. This is like podcasts but tweets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 No, I think I, I'm going I'm to describe a meme next. Uh, People if, are going to love were it. Were I to post a segment <laughs> with Andy Green. Someone do it for me. We'll it's be fun. right back. This episode is brought to you by Mint Mobile. If you've had it with your overpriced wireless plan with its insanely high monthly bill and unexpected overages, then listen to this. For a limited time, wireless plans from Mint Mobile are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. That's unlimited talk, text, and data for $15 a month. Wow, right? To get this new customer offer, just go to mintmobile.com slash watch. That's mintmobile.com slash watch. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for more details. All right, we're back. Andy. Hi. Yeah. We're going to take some listener mail, and this might be... The longest, but also maybe among the most thoughtful questions we've ever gotten. So I thought it would be good to do this one. This comes from Josh Lewis. Here's a long but awesome question. Quote, I've been thinking a lot lately about this concept of fan-written pop culture, particularly with regards to big IP properties, which more recently came up with the Snyder Cut, but has been a recurrent issue with something like Rise of Skywalker, which was in many respects a fan rewrite of TLJ or the circulation of petitions with hundreds of thousands to rewrite season eight of Game of Thrones. I'm a hater of season eight, but I still think such petitions are massively stupid. Uh, That was Josh. He goes on, I am a socialist politically, and while I might be in favor of wild reforms like nationalization of the film and television industry, I don't extend that same way of thinking to the production of art. You guys have made me into a big believer that great art at all levels of popularity should surprise us, challenge us, make us think in different ways. Star Wars, a Star Wars crowd written by Reddit, I am almost positive, would not be any of those things. It would just be a reiteration of tired fan opinions. I'm curious what you guys think of all this. Have your feelings evolved or changed on this as fan service has escalated? I remember coming into Solo actively hoping that they would address the whole Kessel Run and under 12 parsecs Mm -hmm. thing and coming out just so dissatisfied despite the fact that they did the exact thing I wanted them to do. And what do you make of the blurry lines between fan collaboration and fan control? I know that people like Damon Lindelof have talked about how genuinely helpful fan feedback has been for him, but there's a, the line at which we get to something rote and turgid like Rise of Skywalker. Sorry for the high level of self-indulgence, but hope that makes sense. Thanks so much for your question, Josh, because it's very, very thoughtful. Yeah, first of all, this is the right room for a high level of self-indulgence. Sure, I right. can't believe he apologized for that. Um, I've been thinking about this a lot, too, uh, because... I think that we are seeing such an incredible and chaotic, I don't know if I want to say democratization, but um, 
resetting of mm-hmm. of the sort of boundaries between um what someone makes and then how we are interpreting it. And that goes for everything from the media to television to movies to music to everything else. Like the the main commodity right now um does seem to be connection. It's this connection between the audience and the producer of whatever it is I, you know whether it's the artist whether it's the news anchor whether it's the person tweeting at you whether it's somebody on instagram or whether it's it's taylor swift i think that the idea of there being this sort of huge moat between those two things which i think is the way that you and i grew up where we were like the concept of of following somebody who we really liked when we were growing up and having them give us updates and even maybe like take our opinions seriously and that that just is totally foreign to me you know what i mean even on the like the Mm -hmm. small uh more diy bespoke kind of like stuff that we grew up on like indie rock or punk rock where you felt like you could basically like turn to the person who was making the music and be like i love your band you would also not probably be like i think you should have turned the drums down on that last record and they would have or or you owe me an explanation as to why you didn't yes also we we, we why did you forget to turn the drums down It was all just mystery tablets delivered from on high or or from slightly less than high. So I I think that there's been a huge demystification of some of that stuff. And I think that there's also been something lost in the kind of constant yelping of everything that we consume for better or for worse. But I was curious what you thought specifically about this idea of fan written, because I think it's going to, I think it's going to continue. I think we're going to continue to see stuff like this. And I think even, I mean, I even saw over the weekend, I mean, it probably was just something that got a couple of retweets, but like there was something like, you know, Ben Affleck's Batman script is actually incredible. It's the best Batman script ever written. Make the Batfleck movie, you know? And, and I was like, we're going to start this again because I don't think Ben Affleck wants to, you know what I mean? Like, but but is this is this like going to, after the Snyder Cut, are we just going to keep having more and more like, let the people who really understand this character control the character? Well, I think it's, I'm of two minds about it. Neither elevated to the level of like action. I'm not freaking out about this, but right. I think on some in, in some ways, I I think it, it it makes sense, and in other ways, I think it's terrifying. Uh, in terms of the way that it makes sense, I mean, I'll, we could we could go to to the Snyder Cut and Justice League, which as people know, I, I I haven't watched, but I'll say that my understanding of what it was and what it was coming from was slightly misinformed mm-hmm. your understanding of it yeah because what i didn't really get because i as a not a fan of those movies or Zack snyder in particular i didn't really understand what had happened and again this is an element of now we do know 20 years ago we wouldn't have known 40 years ago we would have been like excuse me who's Zack snyder there's a right. movie out right. but the fact that he like it or not had a plan and a vision and due to a combination of corporate fear and miscommunication, and then also major tragedy in his own life was walked away slash was removed from the project that he had made. And someone else came on and grabbed the wheel and steered it completely in a different direction, which resulted in something no one was happy with. Mm -hmm. So then not just the fan outcry and whatever, but I think it ultimately was very smart of Warner Media to realize they could do two things at once. One, Make something that even if it's not necessarily better or worse to take that language out of it, that is consistent, that was what it was supposed to be, like it or not. And thus, you know, win kudos from not me, but I'll give them in the sense that, yeah, I would like to see 
like creative people's visions uh, completed, mm-hmm. or at least you know showcased to the best of anyone's ability. So they could do that, but they could also just score a corporate win with the rest of fanboy community, which is you know which as you said is currency these days. That makes sense to me. They they could undo in a way it was sort of fixing something, not just oh the. Twitter guys are mad at us. That it, 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 that's a little more complicated, I, I think, than that. And people seem to be pretty pretty satisfied with it, right? Mm-hmm. The flip side of it is, I think fans have always felt ownership and over what you know their experiences and things that they love, and I think that's great. And you can't look past that. I mean, that is what has gotten many creators that we like and admire to the places they have been in their career, and it has produced good things. But it is scary to me that the idea of things just being poll tested or basically just you know decided on by twitter because first of all those loud voices aren't necessarily even i mean twitter is not a good model <laughs> for it's anything not a good barometer in society for what people or actually barometer, yeah right or, or who right. actually wants things or who, who are we even talking about when we say we have to please the these people who are these people we don't right. actually know right um the other thing is i think ultimately for art to be good and i've said this a million times is y- you have to have specificity you have to make decisions you have to have a point of view and whether I like it or not, like Zack Snyder cl- clearly has a point of view. And he, I, so I guess I am defending him in this case. When you don't have a point of view, it's like, well, we've got these characters and some people seem to like them and some people don't, but also people like the Marvel movies where they joke. So let's do something where everyone does all of it. And then this character says a catchphrase that some of the children who we hope to also see, so we have a four quadrant hit across the world, will want to, uh, th- they'll recognize it. That just, that, that just creates, that's a nothing, you know? And so this this thing, like you didn't like, you mentioned Damon. I'll mention Damon too. Hi, Damon. He's probably listening. He knows, I've said it to his face, I've said it on this podcast, that when the Lost Finale aired, I didn't connect with it. I didn't love it. Mm-hmm. But I will always use this podcast, Mike, and any other opportunity I have to defend how great it was that he got to do it. He and Carlton got to say, this is, we've been telling a story. Now that it's ending, you might not always agree with us, but we were telling you a story and this is how it ends. You should That's, have done like a an alternate January sixth protest where you're just like, I will defend the lost finale to my death. But you were just doing it in like Culver City, like on January sixth. Yeah. That would have gotten headlines, I think. But but do you know do you know what I mean? I, I I think that there's also like with everything in culture right now, we are in a very kind of uh it, it is a transitional moment. And there's a democratization of almost everything in ways that I think can be good. And I think that resistance to how things are changing as a knee-jerk response isn't how anybody wants to be. But there's a line, like, we didn't really cover much because we don't really know that much about it in the full story. But like like the Ray Fisher thing we were talking about, a lot of the things I was referring to, like Ray Fisher being asked at, in when Joss Whedon came aboard to say Cyborg's catchphrase from the cartoon Mm-hmm. Uh, in order to make kids like the movie. And he was just like, I don't want to do that. That's ridiculous. And he was bringing, I think correctly, a cultural point of view about how black characters are often reduced to catchphrases and what that means, et cetera, et cetera. And I personally, I would support that. I think that's probably right. The next thing that people, some people reading that story might say is, are we in a world where the actors we hire aren't going to do the story? You know, aren't going to say the lines or the fans are going to say, you're wrong person hired to make this movie that character would never say that right i'm not saying it's good or bad it's clearly trending in that direction but it's messy and we are nowhere near understanding what the new normal ought to be 
the reason why this stuff is so popular is because we have industrialized fandom. It's because they've realized that there are certain kinds of stories, there are certain kinds of pieces of intellectual property that people are willing to dedicate tons of their life to. And when you ask people to do that, or you allow the, that space for people to do that, or you create worlds in which people can be like, I think about this stuff, not just like the hour before and the hour after I go to the movie, Mm -hmm. but constantly they're not going to be passive about that. (laughs) People are going to have a passive relationship to star Wars. If you want them to think about star Wars, 340 days a year. So when they start doing that, there might be a huge group of people who are like, Luke would never do that. And they will fucking lose their minds if those characters deviate from what they what they had imagined this sort of trajectory for this character would be. And in a lot of ways, for as much as I obviously loved the second season of Mandalorian, I was kind of like, that finale kind of like corrects people's image of Luke Skywalker for the last mm-hmm. time. Do you know what I mean? It's like yeah. a badass who saved a baby Yoda, you know, and that there, there, you see that stuff happen all the time of like Superman would or wouldn't do something. Batman would or wouldn't do something. These are fake. These are not real people. You know what I mean? Like we don't know what Batman would or wouldn't do. It's just your reading of a character. But I think that the more you actually like ask people to devote huge chunks of their life to their passion for this stuff, the more we're going to run into stuff like, release the Snyder Cut, redo Game of Thrones, TLJ, who desecrated my memory of Luke Skywalker. Also, it's, it's, I think it's worth noting that we, we tend to, the longer people have with characters in their cultural memory and mind, the more sacrosanct they become. The, they stiffen, you know, you can't, they're not bendable action figures anymore. They are only one thing because they have to be that one thing to continue to resonate with the fandom to that degree. And so that's when you end up with these, I mean, we said at the time, I wish the Mandalorian had left Luke on the shelf, but it was doing a lot of work, not just in terms of legitimizing um, the characters that we've come to like in this new show, but also, as you said, it was undoing something. It was, it was correcting something that either John Favreau or Disney in general felt mm-hmm. needed to be corrected. Similarly, the moment that people loved, I mean, you and I really liked Rogue One, but I do remember that the the loudest positive response at the time seemed to be the the Darth Vader stuff. Yeah. Right? And that was Darth Vader the way people wanted to see them, as a red lightsaber-wielding murderous badass, not as Hayden Christensen. <laughs> you know what I mean? It, yes. So it becomes more restrictive. Game of Thrones was similar. You know, it went on for so long, and it existed for so much time in people's minds in the books that when Benioff and Weiss said, sorry, everybody, these aren't the characters that you were reading in the books. These aren't the people that have been living in your hearts. These are the characters that we created for a TV show mm-hmm. played by these actors. And this is how we're going to end their story. It's a wrenching betrayal. So I, I, I always want to be careful not to, not to um, jump over the actual emotional anguish that I yeah, think this can sure. cause people. For sure. But I also think it's a very strong argument for creating new things. <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I, I really think that's important because you, you just can tell bigger and broader stories and the stories can be less about, not only can they be better or surprising, but the stories can be less about commenting on the previously yeah, well, written Well, if you do that, then you don't have to worry about the legacy of the characters or honoring what made you fall in love with this thing in the first place. You can just be like, well, it's my story. I made it up. So, you know, like get with it or, or get out of the way. 
Yeah, so I think that it'll be it'll be worth watching. And I think Falcon Winter Soldier has a little bit of that swagger, which is why I think yes. I'm willing to forgive the fact that I'm like I don't understand which city are they in or why they're running from this person or not. I think I think that previously with mass entertainment, which really just means Star Wars, I probably maybe a couple other things, but there were kind of two phases. There was phase one, which is the the creation and the veneration and the beginnings of the cult, and then there's phase two, which is the it's never as good as I remember it. This isn't you're doing it wrong. Mm-hmm. And I think that um, what, and now I think Star Wars is in phase three, which is we're starting over. Sure. Um, Marvel had phase one that ended in Endgame. And I know they had their own phases, but this is for the sake of this uh, take. I think they're trying very hard and smartly to forge a, a phase 1.5, you know, by upstreaming relatively minor characters by trying mm-hmm. different things in the margins by putting people Seeing on how TV stories where the feel focus when they're is ter- different. Ter- told over this period of time rather than compressed yeah and not saying anything about the future of literally their biggest franchise of the Avengers instead we're going to get um we're going to get some things that you know Spider-Man and Black Widow that feel like things we've seen before probably but we are going to get the Eternals and we have no idea what that's going to be and we don't know who any of those people are and we're going to get Shang-Chi coming soon and we're going to get uh, Natalie Portman as Thor, you know what I mean? Like, the, or her version of Thor. Like, there's going to be, it's a period of change, and I think it's smart because they're keeping away from the totems mm-hmm. because they are, they know that that they're already in that zone. Can I ask you a couple more listener questions before we get out of here? Yes. All right. Yeah. 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 Jeremiah yes. Ramirez wants to know: Twin Peaks: The Return is looping on Showtime. I tuned in just for a few episodes, and I am now craving pie. What cravings have you had resulting from TV? This is oh. very easy. For, this is so easy for me. So hit it. What 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 do you I got? Mean, Mad Men makes me want to smoke. <laughs> Most things make you want to smoke. Yeah, it's true. Mad Men, True Detective. I mean, lots of shows make me want to smoke. Yeah, I think I, I think any time a hard bitten character has a well deserved or perhaps unnecessary drink. It makes me want to drink. Like, yeah. like there, there are shows that I think are dangerous to watch. Like, you after must love 9 Cheers. PM. Then, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I think that's that's a hundred percent. That's my only answer. Uh, Clint Dis- Dennis- F. Clint Denisco asked, "Could there be a future of streaming television that involves implementing exclusive live content? For example, watching a live musical production only through Peacock to entice people to subscribe to their service? Obviously, Disney did this with Hamilton. Although, I think it's worth mentioning the windowing thing here. So, um. Well, to be clear, I think he's saying live. So, like, Hamilton was a a film made of a live show that was then just streaming. I I think, but ultimately what I think he's... Yeah, right. But, like, I want to mention windowing because Hamilton came... That was a sort of time capsule recording Mm -hmm. that they did. And I think that they... Mm -hmm. I think they released it when they released it as, like, a gift to people because we were having a a hard one last summer. It was supposed to come out in theaters this Memorial Day. Right. And... Um, and that had been like, they had always, they had, I, I, I think it had been known that they had filmed that version of the cast, kind of like capturing that moment in time of yep. when like P- Hamilton was kind of at its peak. The thing that's important to realize though, is that while it would be incredibly convenient for all of us to say, see a Taylor Swift concert, you know, which they, they, people do, you know, you'll be like, okay, one night only it's like this, mm-hmm. but the margins are not great for the artist in that case, or at least they were, they haven't been traditionally. The place where these people make money, both in the theaters and on stages when they do concerts, is taking that show out on the road or having people pay a ton of money to go see it on Broadway 
not for me to have a $5.99 or a $10.99 slice of my subscription dedicated to that at the end of the month or whenever Peacock cuts the check to Lin-Manuel Miranda or Taylor Swift or whoever. So while that might be like an enticement on one hand, it might alienate people if and when we ever get back to going to do stuff. I think people would get pretty annoyed if they paid hundreds of dollars to go see uh, a theater production or um, a concert and found out that it was actually available to everybody for the small price of subscribing to the streaming service that they were subscribing to. So I think if we are ever going to see stuff like that, it would come at the end of runs like we would see the final show. After the final show of a tour, a band's concert might get streamed. Or after this version of the cast is finished its run on Broadway, we might get a version of Slave Play or, or, or Hamilton or something broadcast in that regard. Do you have any thoughts on this? I agree with that in terms of windowing, in terms of the goal is to get people to see the thing. And so it, it's almost always going to be, for a live event like that, like a stage event, it's always going to be structured to happen at the end. But in terms of making sort of creating live events that you could only watch in one place, whether it's, you know, every few years, someone decides whether it's a TV executive or Aaron Sorkin or Ben Affleck or someone is just or Clooney, like we're going to do a live stage play on TV, you know, or a live episode of something. I can see a world, particularly, I, I actually thought I would see, we would see more of it during the pandemic of like, we're just going to put this on and the only play, and we're going to, it's going to be live. And the only place you can see it is on Paramount Plus or Netflix or whatever. I thought there might be more created specifically to be live event type things. Yeah. I mean, only it, through streamers. But kind of, and they messed around with like the one night only stuff that they were doing, like the live recreations of classic sitcoms for a while there, right? Uh, well, ABC does that. Yeah. Right. But I mean, yeah, like, I, you, like theoretically, that. you could do stuff like that on the streamers. Yeah. But I, I think we're, I, it'll be interesting to see because streaming is, becoming the dominant way that people watch television. And I think that, you know, Netflix has tried to have talk shows. They had Chelsea Handler for a while. Uh, They had Hassan Minaj. It hasn't quite jumped. You know what I mean? Like, I think that there's a certain type of show that people still expect to see. I I think that their reality shows have just taken over that whole side of that business. Oh, yeah, it didn't make sense for them. Like, the non-scripted stuff is now all, like, either, like, mild competition shows or dating shows or, or whatever. I guess I wonder if there's a world, I think when it was announced, they said that Peacock would show the late night shows early. And then, the, oh. then the, but then the, the, the affiliates were like, excuse us. Like, <laughs> yeah. why would you do that? Yeah. It's one of the few That's things the we thing have. You got to understand is it's just like, there's still like all these people like who primarily watch their television through their cable provider. And those cable providers are like, you're not fucking getting this, this thing like six hours early. Or not even the cable provider, like, you know, W whatever, WNBC in New yeah. York. They're like, but people watch Seth Meyers here. You know what yes, I mean? Like that doesn't right. make sense. Um, I think we're still in that world. That said, I'd be interested to see who gets the most creative with it and how quickly they do it. Because as I think people know, like like Jimmy Fallon and and Jimmy Kimmel and the late night Colbert, they film those shows in the late afternoon, like mm-hmm. 4 p.m., 5 p.m. And then they do some quick edits and they but they basically film them live to tape unless something crazy happens. There's a world where they could do a live feed of some of those shows. I think it would be a lot of hoops to jump through. Um, maybe they don't do the whole show. Maybe they do a live pre-show or green room or something. But right. there's opportunity there, in ter- also in terms of the corporate synergy to make something like that happen. One more question, then we'll go. Noah Lieberman asks, what do you think will have more of the monoculture this year? I guess like kind of like 
the, the most sort of attention. Mm-hmm. The highest grossing movie, the most streamed movie, mm-hmm. or the most watched show, and what do you think each of these would be? I don't know how to calculate really most streamed movie because mm-hmm. sometimes that's like a 2011 Mark Wahlberg movie on Netflix. Like, it, I, I guess like in some ways I, I think that like I was always expecting Tenet to have like a huge sort of streaming life and I don't know that it necessarily has. I, I have a feeling the highest grossing movie, especially since it's moved again, is going to be Top Gun 2. I think the, the, the Marvel movies that are coming at the end of the year, perhaps like Eternals could outgross Top Gun 2 in the, in the theaters. But assuming like America goes back to the movies by the end of the summer, mm-hmm. moving Top Gun, obviously they did that because they were like, I think we'll make a billion dollars if we do this. And we stand to lose a lot of money if we don't. That being said, I think that I can't tell if we're in a bubble or not, but I think the MCU TV stuff has become the closest thing we have to th- these monocultural events. I agree. I think the thing to keep an eye on, you mentioned movies. I, I think movies and theaters still mean something. But what I don't, and I wonder if Sean and Amanda have, have circled things on their calendar over at the big picture. Um, I'm not sure what this movie will be. Maybe it would be Top Gun 2. Maybe Eternals breaks through. Maybe it's something I'm not checking for that I'm not even aware of. But whatever movie can kind of make people just feel fucking great about going to a movie theater and seeing it with people is going to be something that has an enormous halo effect. Because I think people, obviously, for a billion reasons, want to, quote unquote, feel normal, but they also want to participate with other people indoors in something entertaining. Yeah. Um, So I do think that if there's, and I'm sure that's what Top Gun, the people are trying to game it out now. Like, okay, can we be the first to ride that wave but also not be too early that we're making people ill, you know, or making people make yeah, terrible decisions. Yeah, or that decisions. Like we're leaving half of our gross on the table because there's just like six weeks or eight weeks more of like a comfort level that, that needs to come. That said, and we should have him on, we will, I'm sure, at some point this year to talk about it, but our buddy Tom Sam Cruise. Esmail has been, oh. our, buddies, <laughs> yeah, our buddy Sam Esmail has been really on top of this and basically saying like, the, the success, like Godzilla versus Kong seems to be a success, full stop. Mm-hmm. Like people are streaming it, but it also has made money in the theaters where theaters are open. And he's been banging the drum that he's had this drum for a while, but basically like the window is stupid. People will see movies in the theater if they want to see it, but they also want to just see it. And so let people see it. So I'm interested in that as we move towards a moment that I think a lot of studios are angling for, which is to lay the marker and be like, no, this business isn't dead. We're back. But I don't know. Maybe it's too early to say, but maybe it's just off of that one movie. But the the HBO Max thing might be working, might be a success. I think it might be. Uh, Andy, we will be back on Friday morning or late Thursday night, depending on when we post the episode uh, of Top Chef. And also, we have a very special guest joining us to uh, talk about a show that we really love. They'll be coming up soon. So we're very excited. You might be able to puzzle it out. Yeah, maybe. Until then, man, it was good talking to you. Great job.